uncovering your truth and fire, one conversation at a time. This is the Spitfire Podcast. Hey guys, it's your host, Lauren Lemonian, the Spitfire Coach. I'm coming to you every week, bringing you stories of creative entrepreneurs, passionate professionals, and their journey along the way. I would love it if you could give us a review on iTunes, well, Apple Podcasts, or however you listen to podcasts. Head on over to spitfirepodcast.com. Subscribe, tell your friends, tell your family, tell your Uber driver, tell anyone that matters, and you keep being awesome. Have you ever stalked someone on Instagram? You know, followed them around, looked at their posts. Well, that's what today's guest is for me. I found her on Instagram through someone else's post, and I decided to DM her and ask her if she wants to be on the podcast. And lucky for me, she said yes. Today, I'm talking to Cheryl Wood. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another action-packed, awesome Spitfire podcast. I am joined today by a guest who I stalked on Instagram. I'm admitting it. I saw a friend of mine, someone that I follow, holding her book. And I'm like, who is that? I got to talk to her. We have Cheryl Wood, or as she goes by, Cheryl Empowers. And if her handle is anything, I know we're going to have an energetic and awesome conversation today. So Cheryl, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you. I love that I have another faithful stalker. <laughs> Woo-hoo! I'm like, I feel like that's the new compliment to be like, yes, I stalk you on social media. It is. It absolutely is. I mean, that's the beauty of the digital world. I mean, that we can stalk the people who inspire us and motivate us. So I'm the same way. There are people that stalk as well. Oh, I got to I got to know who you're stalking. Oh my God. Well, first of all, I stalk people who are in my industry, in the speaker industry. I stalk Lisa Nichols, even though she's my coach. I stalk her. <laughs> I stalk. <laughs> I stalk. Uh, Eric Thomas, I stalk Tony Robbins. Those are some of the, and I even stalk uh, this guy named Brendan Burchard, who's kind of a young, uh, to me, he's kind of a young, you know, young guy in the space, but he's killing the game. So yeah. Nice. So what are you getting from the stalking process? (laughs) I I like to look at their model. What's the model of the people who are succeeding and not only succeeding as it relates to monetizing their passion and their gift, but succeeding and impacting lives globally. So I'm all about the global impact. I don't want to just fish in a local pond. I mm. want to fish in the global ocean and make sure that, you know, my unique fingerprint is really making a an impact on people's lives completely outside of my own backyard and outside of my zip code. Ooh, I got goosebumps. I love that. Awesome. So I read your bio. You're you're a, you're a Baltimore girl. Uh, you did not have this global reach fingerprint on the pulse of what's going on. So I want you to tell your story uh, for all of our listeners here. Yeah, I love telling my story. (laughs) I I love being an inspiration to other people about what possibility really looks like. So uh, my background as a young girl, I grew up in poverty. I grew up in an inner city housing project in Baltimore, Maryland. And it's so funny because they try to make, you know, (laughs) these pretty pictures of Baltimore, Maryland at the inner Harbor. I'm like, Mm -hmm. look, I was not at the inner Harbor. That is not where I live. I live in some of the most poverty ridden neighborhoods um, that were, that were in that city. And when I came out of my house every day, I saw the worst parts of life. I saw crime. I saw violence. I saw drug addiction, people selling drugs. I saw lack of resources to education that would allow people to better their lives. I saw teenage pregnancy. So it's kind of all the worst parts. And my whole mission was, I don't want to become another statistic. I don't want to succumb to this environment of poverty and lack. I want to get out of this environment, and then I want to pull my mom out of poverty. 
And the crazy part was that my mom was one of the hardest working women I knew. She was raising three kids on her own, myself, I have a twin sister, and I have a brother. And she went to work every day. My mother worked for over 25 years for Baltimore City Public Schools. She was one of those ladies who had like 200 plus days of sick leave, so she never took a day off. And she's still working every day, working as hard as she did, coming home exhausted, could not afford to put food on the table for the entire month for three kids. And so we had to be on government assistance just so that she could feed us. And so I remember there would always be either feast or famine, feast or famine. At the beginning of the month, there was feast. At the, at the end of the month, it was famine. And I watched my mom struggle trying to pay Rob Peter to pay Paul just to make it through. So when I got out of that, that neighborhood, it was like, look, I'm never looking back. Let me move forward. Now, I have to say, I went to high school, graduated high school, got my high school diploma, but I did not go off for four years of higher education. I went straight from high school into the workforce so that I could get out of poverty and help pull my mom out of poverty. So you're talking to a woman now who is serving people the world over as an international motivational speaker who has generated a seven built and generated seven figure income through speaking and coaching with no college degree. Mm-hmm. And I share that because I need people to understand not to count yourself out just because of what you think you're lacking. Because I spent too long in that space of thinking that I could only be something. I could only be this thing without that piece of paper that said I was good enough. So anyway, so I went through high school, went straight into the workforce, kind of worked my way up. I had learned my, you know, great work ethic from my mom watching her. I learned some, a little bit of business uh, skills through going to a vocational technical high school. And I carried that over into the corporate space and quickly started growing up from like a, a receptionist up to a legal secretary. So I felt like I was doing good. I mean, I was making, you know, close to six figures as a legal secretary with no college degree. But when I became a mother of three, everything shifted. My priorities shifted. I wanted to be home and present and actively engaged with my kids. I didn't want to drop them off at six in the morning and not see them again until six at night and then give them the worst parts of me, which is what I was doing for 15, you know, for the entire time that I was a mom. And so in 2009, I made a decision to interrupt my own norm by doing something different that was scary, that was uncomfortable, and I started a business. And I didn't really quite know why I was starting the business that I started. I started this mommy t-shirt business that was called Moms Are the Best. And in 100-degree weather sometime and sit under a tent and try to sell t-shirts, and most times I didn't. (laughs) Then I had to come back and come back home and explain to my husband why I'd been gone for eight hours and didn't sell anything. But that was a whole process. And what I realized in hindsight was that that process was literally preparing me for my journey as a successful entrepreneur down the road. So 18 months into doing that, while I was still working my full-time job, I got a phone call from somebody at Morgan State University who had heard about the t-shirt business. That's why it's so important to get started because you never know what doors of opportunity will come your way just because you are on the path of movement and motion. Mm-hmm. So 18 months later, somebody from Morgan State University says, hey, Miss Wood, uh, we, we've heard about your t-shirt business. We love what you're doing as a mompreneur. And it was the first time I ever heard that. I was like, I like that. I'm a mommypreneur. And we're having a conference, an annual women's conference. We get 200, sometimes upwards of 300 women who come. And we'd love for you to come to the conference and speak and teach other moms just like you in the community how to start their own businesses. And I burst out laughing. I was like, clearly, you have dialed the wrong number. You are not looking for me. <laughs> because I had no experience as a speaker, had never been in anybody's speaker training class, Toastmasters, nothing technically, nothing qualified me to say yes. 
But that's why I teach my clients now that even when you don't feel qualified, it doesn't mean that you haven't been called to do that specific thing. And so you owe it to yourself to say yes more than you say no. So I said yes. And I showed up at that speaking opportunity and I showed up as though I was the best of the best. I prepared. I practiced. I came in with energy and enthusiasm. And it was that day, September 18th, 2010, that I discovered that I was born to speak. And as they say, the rest is history. Oof, that was awesome. <laughs> yes, you are on the right show, the Spitfire Podcast. <laughs> you have so much energy, and, and I feel in you this just intrinsic knowing of, I don't quite know how, but I know this is why and what I'm supposed to be doing. So, and, yeah, that's so, it. What was the moment? Because, you know, you have all the security and everything on paper that you're supposed to do to get out of poverty, to support your mom, to to make, you know, a good environment or a better environment for your for your kids and your family. And then you experience, you know, what a lot of people experience, which is the corporate burnout, where you're you're doing the things you're supposed to do, but it's not your passion. So what was the point or the moment that you thought, I need to start that business? Uh, you know, it was it was little by little. I don't I don't think it was one full thing that catapulted me. It was just I, I just kept getting tired of being tired, and I kept mm-hmm. ti- get tired of hearing myself say I was tired. Um, literally every day I was getting up at about five in the morning so that I could get three babies, and we're talking you know what almost eight years ago now, three little babies dressed and ready to get out of the door before the sun ever came up to get them dropped off. Uh, for somebody else to care for them for 12 hours a day. And then I'd go off to a job that I didn't love, that didn't nurture my spirit, that didn't make me feel like I was creating a legacy in the world. And it certainly didn't position me to really amass wealth of any kind because I was always going to be capped at a certain salary because I didn't have that piece of paper that said I was good enough. And then I'd come home, you know, and pick up the kids at 6 p.m. And and I was grouchy and I was irritable and I wasn't patient with them and I wasn't kind and engaged. I just wanted to get somewhere and lay down because I was tired. Mm -hmm. And that was not the mother I wanted to be. Now, I have to have to go back and let you know that for my entire adult life, I was told I would never have kids. So Mm -hmm. I have a history of endometriosis and fibroids. I've had six major abdominal surgeries. So I was told I would never get that experience. And then God had a different plan, and now I get blessed with these three beautiful, healthy kids, and I can't even be there for them. Mm. I, I can't even raise them and teach them my morals and my, value, and my values and my principles. That's not fair, and it just didn't seem fair. But I got tired of telling myself that it didn't seem fair, and I'm like, well, what are you going to do about it? Mm-hmm. And so I started the business in June of that year of 2009 just to get started, get my feet wet learn something about being an entrepreneur. And then I'd have to say that it was really the big, big push, the bigger push came at the end of that year. The same year, Thanksgiving Day, my father passed away. And my father was only 59. He passed away of a massive heart attack in his sleep. On Thanksgiving Day, that was Mm -hmm. the first call I got that morning. And that was the wake-up call. Like, really? 59? And the, the, the closer I get to that number, it's like, wow, it really seems young. Mm-hmm. And here he's gone. And it's like, okay, there's no coming back and redoing it and retrying it and saying, I wish I should. I, I wish I could have. I should have. I, I should have tried this. I Look, if you're going to live life, you might as well live it right now because tomorrow is never promised. And it, it wasn't that I did that in a morbid way. <clears throat> it actually was an awakening for me. It was a wake-up call. Like, if you're going to truly experience life and stop just existing, 
you got to take some risks. You got to do some stuff that's uncomfortable. You got to get out of your own way and take the chances just to see what's available to you. Because how do you know what's available if you never interrupt your norm and you just do the same thing and keep complaining about it? You never get anything different. So it was those, a culmination of those things that really pushed me to, to get started. Mm, that's, you know, everybody that I talk to on the show, there's always that, that wake up moment of I can do something different. And now that I know that I can't unknow my truth. And that's exactly what it sounds. And, and so for as, as harsh of a, of a wake up call was with the death of your father, it sounds like you couldn't return from that to what you, what you were blindly and, and autopilot, autopiloting your life for. That's it. You articulated that perfectly. That's That was exactly it. And I just was determined from that moment forward, I will never waste another day of my life. I will never throw away another minute of another day doing something that I just feel like I have to do versus what I've been born to do and mm -hmm. versus the thing that's going to allow me to create a model for my kids of what it looks like to really live life. Because it's amazing how as moms, we're always encouraging our kids and you know, you can be anything that you want to be and, you know, yeah. and we telling them all that stuff and they looking at you like, well, why are you not doing it? <laughs> Here's the mirror, mom. <laughs> but I didn't want to be that mom who was encouraging and inspiring, you know, empowering, trying to inspire my kids to, to be all they could be and take chances and not focus on what they, what they were lacking. But yet I wasn't doing that. So it just, it, yeah, all of those things propelled me to just move forward and take some risks. And it, and it was scary and it was hard. But it has been so worth it. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit more about the ideas behind validation and qualifications. Because we see now the mounting student loan debt, the huge financial burden that these kids are walking out with. And yet we are still somehow in the society locked into this idea that a college degree means you're qualified or this certification means you're qualified. So I'm curious, what is your definition of being qualified? Hmm, that's a great question. I, for, from my perspective, qualified simply means you have identified that that is the thing that your spirit and your soul and your heart calls you to do. I, I believe that is the thing that qualifies you. Is, does your spirit and your soul leap every time you get to do that thing, every time you think about doing it. Like when I think about doing calls like this, I'm like, yeah, I'm pumped. Yeah. I'm <laughs> like, Oh, I can't wait. I'm so excited. Every time I get an invitation to speak on a stage and I'm, whether I'm speaking in front of 20 people or 2000 people, I get the same feeling that same leaping in my spirit and my soul that yes, I get to go and I get to help transform people's lives. When you feel that way about anything that you do and you don't lose the fire for it, I believe that's, is the thing that you're qualified to do. It doesn't matter what the piece of paper says, if you have it or not. It doesn't matter if anybody else thinks that you're qualified or not. What do you feel? And I believe we have to go a little bit more on emotion and what we're feeling internally that's pulling at us and calling us. And I think the thing that, that you're qualified to do, it won't leave you alone. It taps mm -hmm. you on the shoulder. It wakes you up at night. It might leave <laughs> it you for stalks a you. <laughs> yeah. It might leave you for a little while, but it's coming back. And it just keeps on haunting you mm -hmm. until you pay attention. And I think that's how you know, oh, that's the thing I'm qualified to do. Oh, I love that. It won't leave you alone Yeah. until you pay attention to it. And I think that's, that's, that's exactly it. It's like when people know and then they try to ignore it or they move away from it is really where the stress or this feeling of, of you know, unsatisfactory 
mm-hmm. life comes in. Because I think we all know we're meant for bigger things. But what do you think holds people back from really going after it? Fear. <laughs> that seemingly small four-letter word, fear. The F word. <laughs> the F word. Yes. I mean, and I know because I've experienced it. I don't believe in talking about anything that I haven't personally been challenged with or experienced. And I'm telling you, fear calls me up a couple times a day. Like, hey, chick, you, you know you don't have a degree. Oh, but mm. you're going to speak in front of these people who have college degrees and masters and PhDs? Really? That's what you're going to do? Or, hey, chick, you know you grew up in the hood. What, do you ha- what are these people going to get from you? What are you going to be able to teach them? And so fear is always in my ear trying to tell me I'm not good enough, I'm not adequate, or I'm going to be judged from other people, or maybe I'm going to fall flat on my face in front of people watching. And fear is always trying to hold me back from my greater. Mm-hmm. And you have got to, you absolutely have to disconnect the conversation with fear and just say, you know what, I am scared. And I, and I, and I don't know how I'm going to be received for every, every engagement that I do. But, but what I'm going to do, I'm committed to doing, is going up here and giving my best performance that I can possibly give giving them the best parts of me and those who need it will get exactly what they need. And everybody else, well, it was great to serve you. And that's it. And you just press through it. But it doesn't mean that it gets any easier and it doesn't mean that it goes away the higher you go. Mm-hmm. So some people ask me, well, Cheryl, now you're, you're this international speaker. You're traveling all over the world. I've spoken in India. I'm going to be going to Africa in a couple months. Like they're like, okay, well, you, are you still, do you still get nervous? Uh, Yeah. <laughs> Am I human? <laughs> because I, yeah, because I'm human. Because fear still tries to convince me I'm not good enough, or that there's somebody there who's more qualified, or somebody who's going to judge me. And it is our job to feel the fear and do it anyway, to face it head on. And most of us don't get to that place because we never allow ourselves to stand fully in the in the face of what fear feels like. Mm-hmm. And so we're so busy running from it that we never feel, we, we don't know what it feels like when it shows up. And as soon as we get that inkling of fear, we run. I've learned to run in the direction of my fear. Oh, that's the thing that scared me? Okay, I'm, go- I'm going right to that. So whatever it is that causes me the greatest sense of apprehension and the greatest thing that scares me and challenges me, that's what I'm going towards because I know that's going to make me a better version of myself. I just had this vision of you dressed up in a football uniform, like as a linebacker and just charging <laughs> towards fear. <laughs> That's it. Or, or you can always go check me out on YouTube where I'm jumping out of a plane for my first skydiving experience. No. <laughs> to prove that fear just has no hold on me. And I am terrified of heights. And that's why I did it. I went skydiving because I needed to prove to myself that nothing has so great of a hold on me that I won't face it head on. So what did I do? I went, went to a plane, got in a plane and jumped out 20,000 feet from the sky, terrified. And the crazy part though, was that everything that I envisioned that it was going to be, that I imagined that it would be, I'm like, Oh my God, it's going to, you know, my stomach is going to flip. Like when you're on a roller coaster, I'm probably going to get sick. How about none of that was the Mm. case. It was a completely different experience than what I had made up in my mind. So, so often as women, we make up in our mind what an experience is going to be like before we ever experience it. Mm -hmm. And we talk ourselves out of it because of what we assume it's going to feel like. Mm -hmm. When I jumped out of that plane, there was about a 60 second free fall where it's kind of like the wind is looks seems like it's blowing your face off. And literally after that 60 seconds, your parachute comes open and you are just gliding over God's creation. It was the most profound, the most amazing, the most beautiful experience I've ever had in my life that I could have missed out on 
because I allowed fear to talk me out of it. So what are you missing out on because you're letting fear talk you out of the experience and you don't even know what it feels like yet? Mm. Face the fear and do it anyway. That's That's so powerful. I'm just thinking about like, what have I not gone after as a result? And, And you were saying, you know, falling flat on your face. I actually have had that experience after performing <laughs> my first time rapping with my boyfriend's band. I tripped over a monitor and fell flat on my butt in front of all these people. And it was recorded and all over Facebook and I got up anyway and I kept doing it. And you will inspire so many more people because you got back up. Yeah. If you just laid there and if you just laid there, people would have really thought you were special. They would have thought you were cray cray. And they're like, okay, it's just going to lay there. But so why do we do that in life? Why do we do that when it comes to our dreams? We fall and we just stay there. Yeah. You you only get the side eye when you just lay there and don't get back up. Yes. That's, that's so profound. I never even thought of it like that. It's like, no, people understand that everyone trips and falls, but you only get the looks and concern when you don't get back up. That's it. So you got to jump back up quicker than anybody else. Okay. I mean, I, I saw a video with Beyonce. (laughs) <laughs> okay and you're talking millions of eyes on the screen and there was this video and I, she was you know performing and I think there was two videos one where she like fell as she was coming down the steps mm-hmm. she jumped right back up as though nothing had ever happened and continued on mm-hmm. you're talking about a lady with millions of followers mm-hmm. and people and watching that video and she was the consummate professional and she just she bounced back and kept going and then there was another video where she was performing and they had these big fans on the stage, you know, kind of adding drama to the, to the performance and her hair gets caught in the fan. Do you know, she never stopped performing. She never stopped singing. She still kept going while all of her people are around her trying to get her hair. (laughs) (laughs) And I said, my God, if that didn't inspire me to keep even when you're challenged, even when it looks embarrassing, even when it feels uncomfortable, how inspiring is that to know that you can just keep pressing through and still have an amazing performance? And you're going to get so much more exposure afterwards. Yeah. <laughs> You'll have something to talk about. Celebration and inspiring other people. And I think that's our ultimate goal, all of us, mm-hmm. is it's not so much about ourselves. It's how do I impact other people through my actions? How do I impact other people through my behaviors and what I model and what I say out of my mouth? And if I can inspire somebody else to want to be better because they saw something that happened to me, then that's half the battle of why I'm here. Yeah, that's awesome. I want to switch gears a little bit. Well, it's not even switching gears. It's all about you anyway. I want to talk about your, your latest book. Yeah. So is this your first book? Or is uh, this no. one of many in a series of all things Cheryl? Yes, this is number seven. Book number Holy seven. crap, lady. So have you been writing like a book a year? Practically, yeah. I'm struggling to get my first one out. I, I, this is now my third attempt. Um, I've gotten about 80% done and then I, then I shut it down. So I am, I am putting it out there that I'm going to get this book out by September. So I'm just locking that in right now. (laughs) I love it. And we will hold you accountable to that. Please do. (laughs) So what was the, the inspiration behind this book? So this most recent book, Success Tips for Speakers is a, it's a continuation of my strong desire and my mission to help primarily more women to boldly share their voice and their story and their message with the world. 
And I believe a lot of times as women, we don't give enough power to our stories Mm -hmm. and who we are and how we can impact other people by sharing our truth and our story. So I always tell clients I work with, your story is about you, but it ain't for you. Mm -hmm. And what I mean by that is you went through it. You went through the trauma or the drama or the mess or the falling flat on your face and having to get back up. Yeah, you went through it. But the real power is in how you share it with someone else. So it's about you, but it's for someone else so that they can learn a lesson, so that they can see strength in you and know that they can find strength in themselves, so that perhaps they can feel like they're not alone in going through whatever they've they've gone through. So if you never share your story, you don't tell your truth, then really that was knowledge that was acquired that went to waste. Mm -hmm. Because everything that we go through, we learn something from it. There's some lesson or there's some, some part of us that grows and develops through every challenge and difficulty and roadblock. And so this book is helping people who are ready, specifically women, who are ready to boldly share their truth, to do so in a way that's powerful, to do so in a way where you're articulating yourself clearly, where it's concise and it's compelling and it's impacting other people's lives. So there are 50 power tips to help new and emerging speakers to really jumpstart their speaking career. And it doesn't matter what your business is and if you consider yourself a speaker or not. I think there are really two types of speakers. There's a speaker who loves the stage. That would be me. I'm raising my hand over here. Um, don't give me a microphone. Because if you give me a microphone, I'm, I'm going to head thrown up. Because I just love what I do. So people who love the stage and then people who leverage the stage. And that might be individuals who are perhaps their business owners. And that's not their primary way that they monetize. But they don't close that off as a, an additional revenue stream in their business. They understand that getting in front of one to many versus trying to speak to one to one at a time is going to get you to your ultimate destination quicker. It's going to allow you to make greater impact on a more global basis and allow you to monetize greater. So all of us, no matter what, what our business is, what our pursuit is, we should be tapping into the world of speaking. Mm. I know that it's, it's something that I, I'm definitely interested in and have been feeling restraint. So someone like me, what would be the first place that you would start with to get your speaking career started? Uh, do you mean the first place where I would encourage you to speak? Yeah. Oh, speaker, like what would be the first step that you would, oh, the first step. that you would, yeah. So, so yeah, so I think the first step would simply be to start mastering speaking. So go to somebody's speaker course or speaker training or go to Toastmasters and start getting into the habit and the routine of articulating yourself in front of a group of people. I think that is really, really important. Important. I always tell people there's a difference between talking and speaking. Anybody can get on a stage or a platform and talk. But when you're speaking, it's about mastering a craft of speaking into people's lives. And whenever you have that opportunity, you should take that as a serious responsibility. I don't care if it's a podcast, a webinar, on a big stage in front of thousands of people. When you get that opportunity to speak into someone's life, it needs to be as powerful as it possibly can be. And that means you need to be a student of it. So I would first say be a student of your craft, whatever that craft is that you're going to master. And then the second part of that would be to get really clear. This is something big for, for every business owner, clarity. Get really clear about what your core message is. What is the resounding message that you want to share with the world, that you want to be known for, that you want your legacy to be connected to? Because once you identify that, it positions you to figure out where you want to speak, who you want to speak to, who you are best qualified to speak to. And I do think that those things need to be all a part of the equation. What do you have the most experience in that will qualify you? What do you have the greatest knowledge in? And what do you have a joy to speak about? 
And once you start identifying that and what your core message is around whatever that topic is, then you can start pitching and prospecting to the people who need your message so that you can make sure that you are utilizing your time wisely and serving the people who want what you have, they're desiring and seeking the solution that you're offering and are willing to invest in it now. Mm, those are solid tips and I'm, I'm definitely going to implement them into my, my progress and you're going to hold me accountable too. Because I'm going to <laughs> We're going to be accountability partners now. Yes. Positive positivity happening. Yeah. Awesome. So what do you think is the the big piece that holds people back from speaking on a stage? I think it's comparison. Um, that too many people are comparing themselves to somebody else who's already on the stage, who's already been doing it for years. And they diminish their own value based on comparison. And there's a quote that says something to the effect of comparison is the thief of joy, right? Mm -hmm. So when you are comparing yourself and looking at somebody else, instead of just playing in your lane and being great at what you do, it will diminish all of your energy to execute what you need to execute and share your message in the world. So you can't look at somebody who's been doing it for 20 years and say, well, I want what she has or I want what he has. So mm -hmm. you got to start where, where you are and you have to be okay playing in the space in the lane that you're in and know that you bring value with what you know right now. Somebody needs what you know right now. If, if ever I could just repeat that to themselves <laughs> on a daily basis, somebody, somebody needs what I know right now. And they're looking for you and they're waiting for you based on your truth, your story, how you articulate it, how you show up, what your background is. And they're never going to move forward in their journey or their destiny until they hear the message from you. So give value to what you know and the lane that you're playing in without comparison to anybody else. Mm. So what I'm hearing from that is be reasonable and be patient, but be consistent. Definitely. I'm going to go with relentless, too. Relentless. Yeah, keep showing up. I mean, when I first came into the industry, nobody knew me. Cheryl Wood, who? That was a running joke that we used to have <laughs> with, some of my, with some of my friends. Like, Cheryl Wood, who? They don't know who you are, girl. But they're going to know when I leave the stage. They're going to mm -hmm. know after they hear me on this podcast who Cheryl Wood is, right? That's so right. Keep showing up <laughs> and letting people know who you are and what your message is and how you can add value to their lives. But if you don't show up, then they can't get the blessing that they need so they can move forward in their own life. So yeah, absolutely be relentless. And again, don't compare to anybody else. Some of us look at somebody else's, as they say, chapter 15 and compare it to our chapter one. Mm -hmm. Like that doesn't even make sense. So you, you, you are not them. You're not going to deliver like they deliver. You shouldn't try to talk, walk, sound like anybody else. Just be authentically you and walk in the power of how you deliver your message how you show up and what your level of knowledge is right where you are right now. I'm ready to drop this mic right now, but I think that it would create a not so great sound, but that's, it's just so true. I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing what, you know, we, we, we opened this podcast talking about who we're stalking online, but you know, we're getting all the goods from it. We're like, yeah, I want to be inspired, but so many people are looking at it as, well, I'm not that, I'm not that pretty. I'm not in that shape. I'm not that successful. Um, but what they don't show is all of those years of grinding and, yeah. and, and struggling and like barely making it. And it takes time. Yeah. And they don't see the times when, you know, people like myself and other people who have really become successful 
the times when we wanted to give up because mm-hmm. it wasn't going well. They don't see the times when I first started speaking in my first year and a half of speaking where people were paying me with a ham sandwich and a thank you. Mm-hmm. Oh, you were so great. We're going to feed you lunch. And the only thing that was getting bigger was my waistline. My bank account wasn't growing. Mm -hmm. Just my waistline was growing. And people don't see that. They don't see the times where, you know, you first start and people tell you, oh, there are going to be 100 people here at the event. And you show up and there are 10 people. Mm -hmm. And you still have to get on that stage and perform as though every seat is filled. Mm -hmm. And you have to give the best of you every time. So, yeah, there's a lot of struggle. People don't see the times when you go and you knock it out of the park on a stage and you walk away at the end and they're giving you a, a check for $200 when you know that that speech was worth $2,000. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, there's a lot of struggle. So that's why I say you can never compare yourself to anybody else and where they are versus where you are. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, so it's, it's understand your value, but understand that not everyone's going to know until they've experienced you and until you set that bar up for yourself. Definitely. So good. So I got to know, what is your superpower? <laughs> my superpower. Other than the microphone. <laughs> yeah. I think my superpower is just getting women to believe uh, more, more in themselves, to believe that no matter where they're starting at, that it doesn't have to be the finish line. Um, everything from where I grew up at, my background to the whole, you know, oh, I'm a legal secretary with no college degree, but I'm going to go and become a, this international speaker seems so unrealistic when I first started. But as you mentioned, it was continuing to show up until somebody knew, until somebody recognized. It was continuing to say yes to opportunities, even when it scared me. It was pressing through fear. It was taking risks and placing all bets on me. Because for so long, I placed all bets on somebody else in a, in a job and placing the bets on, oh, they're going to give me a check every two weeks. And I had to turn that around and interrupt that norm and say, well, if I put in 40 hours a week for me and what I love and what I know, then maybe I can be successful. And it was just hanging on to the maybe. Maybe one day I could leave this cubicle as a legal secretary. Maybe one day someone will know who I am as a speaker. Maybe one day I'll impact lives. So if you can just get that maybe ingrained in your mind, and that's what I help women to do, just just maybe. Maybe if I do something different, I could get something different. Just maybe I could be that person I really want to become. If I can just get you to place some bets on you and think about the maybe, then I've done my job. That's my superpower. Hang on to that maybe, baby. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So what is your kryptonite? Oh, I think my kryptonite is wanting to do it all myself. Mm -hmm. DIY-itis? Yeah. Like, you know, understanding that you, you, a couple things, number one, that you can never soar. You can succeed, but you cannot soar on your own. Like you got to have some great talented folks who are on your team, who are supporting you, who understand the vision and support the vision. Um, And then understanding that a, a secondary component of that is that you are then extending the experience. Um, or the opportunity, I should say, for other people to walk in their lane of greatness. Mm -hmm. And I think it's selfish when we don't. And that's the only that's the only way I've been able to make improvement in that area was realizing that it would be selfish of me not to extend opportunity for someone else to walk in their lane of expertise and their superpower just because I wanted to try to do it all on my own. Mm -hmm. So now I've expanded my team. I have a sales team and they're amazing at what they do. I have an assistant and she's amazing at what she does. And I have a graphics team and they're amazing at what they do. So everybody's playing their part so that it's this beautiful orchestra. You know, my daughter plays the viola 
And when you go in and you see these kids play, it's like everybody has their part that they play. And there are some times when one section is quiet and another section is louder. And then there's a, and everything is in unison to make this beautiful sound in the end of it all. And that's how we have to think about our businesses is that we can't be the only person who's playing. Like there have yeah. to be people who are playing with us if we're really going to succeed. And you let them be great when it's time for them to step up and play in their lane. And then when it's time for you to be the talent, you go and you be amazing at, at what you do. Hmm. So do you see yourself as the conductor or as a soloist? in the orchestra? I, I guess I would refer to myself as the conductor because okay. uh, I'm big on creating more amazing leaders. <clears throat> and I think even in, in, in an orchestra, if we're going to go to the physical context of it, that every person in that orchestra is amazing and talented and is a leader in their own right. And so, yeah, you have the person at the front, but they cannot conduct if they don't have talent in front of them. So for me, I consider myself to be the conductor who is absolutely helping to orchestrate uh, new and emerging talent so that other people can walk in their lane of greatness. Got it. I love that analogy of business owners as conductors because it's, you, you know, it's so intertwined, but you are still leading the charge. It's your vision. It's your passion coming through. So, so, so awesome. Well, this has been an empowering conversation and, and you're, your handle on Instagram is clearly correct, Cheryl Empowers. Um, I'm empowered now to, to get <laughs> off my butt, finish my book, and get speaking uh, on some stages. September. We're going to be looking for it. It's my birthday. It's happening. Like, it's going to, it's happening. I've got, I, I put the pledge out yesterday, and I got two chapters done. So we are rocking and rolling as only Spitfires do. So That's right. You better say it. That's right. That's right. You can't be a Spitfire and be timid. <laughs> And actually, that's what the book's about is uh, I came up with the title Spitfire Emerging. So how people can tap into their inner fire and spit it. And it sounds like you are doing the same thing. And we all need to empower each other to find their voice and and tell their story. Yeah, for sure. Thank you so much for this platform. It's amazing. And I love your energy and what you're doing to help give other individuals a voice. And I think that's a powerful thing. Awesome. And now I have a new friend that I stopped on Instagram. It's great. (laughs) (laughs) So absolutely. make sure you're not creepily stalking people, but yes, reach out to other badasses out there, connect with them because we all want to help each other be more awesome and spread the awesomeness. So if people want to know more about you, book you for speaking gigs, buy your books, where should they go? Uh, You can go to my website, which is CherylEmpowers.com, or you can connect with me on Pretty much all the social media platforms at Cheryl Empowers. That's Instagram, LinkedIn, Twitter, uh, and Facebook. Fantastic. And we'll have that all in the show notes. Cheryl, thank you so much for your time and sharing your wisdom and inspiring all of us. And until next time, y'all keep being awesome.